Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. RJ, we got kind of a, a big podcast to do here as we're, we're, we're into September now, right? We're not kind of fumbling around looking for things to keep talking about. We're, we're starting to get into it. Training camp is imminent, even if we still don't know when it's going to start. <laughs> Although, if the deep dive curse is anything to go off of, expect that information tomorrow, everybody. I think that's probably a safe bet, as we were just talking about, RJ. <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Training camp schedule out tomorrow, right as you go under for your tonsil surgery. Yep. That's when it'll drop. So everyone get ready for that. Yeah, exactly. I'll try to keep everybody posted on Discord for when they wheel me into the operating room so everyone can head on over to uh, the ECH uh, Twitter account and, and pay attention for that schedule drop. Um, all right. So first off, you know, huge shout out to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring this podcast. Um Gonna gonna be some some fun stuff going on with them in the not so distant future. So everybody, hang on for that. <laughs> yep, we got we got something pretty fun coming there. We'll, we'll just that's the end of the teaser, but uh, be on the lookout for it while Dylan's out of commission. Definitely, definitely. And then this week, uh, we're we're talking training camp storylines, and and we're gonna kind of just jump right into that. Um, although there's one shout out I want to make and that's over at the discord, uh, which if anybody's interested in joining the discord and, and you're not on there already, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, there's a link in the description below. Uh, if you're, you know, there's links to it, uh, on our Twitter profile, Instagram, just everywhere you can, you can generally find a, a way to get over to the, to the discord. Uh, but I just wanted to shout out DJ Singletone over on the discord already back into mid season CHL form covering all of the Kraken prospects as they are going through their preseason games, uh, whether it's the OHL, QMJHL, or the WHL, uh, DJ Singletone has everybody covered as he watches all the games all the time, uh, sends out highlights, sends out, you know, just how everybody's doing whenever a big play happens, you know, regardless of what it is. Uh, DJ Singletone is there on the case. So just want to give a huge shout out to G DJ Singletone for doing that. We've not asked DJ Singletone to do this, but we absolutely love it and appreciate it. And it's one of the things that makes the ECH Discord just an incredible place to be if you're a Kraken fan, uh, because you get kept up to date on how all the little baby squids are doing, RJ. Yeah, really appreciate the great work from DJ Singletone there. No offseason for DJ Singletone, nope. just all the time keeping track of the prospects. We really do appreciate it. Definitely, definitely. So wanted to throw that one in there. And now, RJ, we can start getting into the training camp storylines to watch and, and kind of what we think uh, they might turn into maybe even. Um, there's a lot of interesting things as the Kraken go into their season three. We've You know, it's very different than last year, as we've been talking about through most of this offseason. Kraken made the playoffs last year, go to a game seven of round two. Expectations are in a very different place. You know, the acquisitions they made in the offseason, very different uh, from that first offseason, RJ, from that from that last, last one last year. Um, so, you know, the storylines are very different. This isn't like, okay, how are all the big free agent acquisitions going to fit in? And, and you know, is, what's, what about Matty Beneers before his first full season? We don't really have those same kinds of things. That being said, I think we got lots of interesting ones because the Kraken, they're in it now, RJ, right? Like this isn't a team that's fresh on the scene trying to figure things out. They're an established team. They're a team that nobody's going to take lightly, I feel like, this upcoming season. And, uh, and that means training camp's going to be that much more important to get everybody back in, 
back together and get ready for what's going to be probably a harder, tougher season for him. For sure it will be. And that's something that the players mentioned at the exit interviews at the end of last season too. Even unprompted, really, several of them separately said, no one's going to take us lightly next year. And, and that's something you have to adjust for. And it's something that you have to prepare for. And that preparation starts in training camp. And I think after watching how the Kraken's first two seasons went, if you were there for training camp, even if you just saw a day or two of training camp and how it all went, you realize the importance of training camp to how the season's going to go. And that's something I noticed in the team's inaugural training camp where it was very clear the guys were just trying to get to know each other on a base level. None of them had played together before. There wasn't a lot of contact. Honestly, there wasn't a lot of intensity. Everyone was just trying to get their feet wet. And in year two, it was just a night and day difference. And that's one of the things that gave me a lot of optimism heading into last season was that the training camp just looked so much more intense. There was contact. Uh, there was real battles between guys, whether it was along the boards or just trying to outskate each other in skating drills, just things like that, where that intensity level was ramped up by so much. And Dave Haxtell even kind of acknowledged that at the end of last season, that there was that real jump from year one to year two as far as the intensity of training camp. And he's hoping, I think he's maybe have hinted that it might be necessary that there's another jump from year two to year three. So that's one thing just on a very broad general sense that I'm going to be looking for is just the overall intensity of training camp because it's going to need to be higher. You always need to get to that next level. Uh, and I think this season is a big indicator of that for the Kraken. Yeah, definitely. So uh, without further ado, RJ, uh, which, let's just hop into the storylines that, that uh, we kind of picked out here. You have the master list. So I'll, I guess I'll kind of hand it off to you. Sounds good. So, Training camp hasn't quite started yet. Uh, the Kraken have gotten back to the ice at KCI, actually, end of last week and the start of this week for unofficial skates, uh, often referred to as captain skates, where the, the captain will hold an unofficial skate. But Dylan, as we know, the Kraken don't have a captain. They didn't have one all of last season. Uh -huh. uh, and I, I know I see the eye roll, and believe me, I share the sentiment, but I, I think we have to address this topic just because it, Look, I'm, yeah. I'm on Twitter all the time. I'm on social media. I, I see people asking. They want to know, will the Kraken name a captain this in the preseason for this year? And if so, who's it going to be? I, I think I'll start off just saying I think there's way too much emphasis on this question. Mm -hmm. um, the Kraken were totally fine without a captain last season, exceeded all expectations. There is plenty of leadership in that room. That leadership has come back for this season and, and even added to it with some veteran acquisitions. The Kraken don't need a captain. They absolutely don't need a captain. Hackstall will tell you as much. The players will tell you as much. That said, I think eventually they're going to name a captain. I think the Kraken will have another captain at some point yeah. uh, in their franchise history. And tell me if you agree, when that happens, it'll be Maddie Beneers. I, I, you've said that bef long before I did, actually, right? Yeah. Um, it's going to be Matty Beneers, but what do you think the odds are of that happening this preseason? Five to ten percent. Like, it's got to be extremely low. They did fantastic last year without a captain. Whenever the question was really brought up last year, it was very quickly dismissed from everybody involved. Like nobody felt like they needed one in that, in that room. I still don't, you know, not much has changed. I still don't think that they need one. And I still think that yes, long-term organizationally, the belief would be that Matty Beneers is that guy. He is 
I mean, he's the one that they're working out the big extension for. He's the guy that, you know, first uh, a super high pick. He's obviously shown a ton of promise. Just won the Calder Trophy, right, as Rookie of the Year, centering their first line. Um, all of that stuff. He is going to be the face of the franchise. It makes sense for him to be a captain. And, oh, yeah, on top of it, he actually does, like, demonstrate leadership capabilities. And he has since day one. Uh, so Matty Beneers just makes all the sense in the world. But I think they will wait until he's ready maybe even wait out another year for some of the older guys on the team's contracts to expire some of the more veteran pieces from that expansion draft just because then that maybe clears the way a little bit as the as the team really starts transitioning away from the expansion draft group to the group that they're building around Matty Beneers that maybe just makes sense timeline wise to name him the captain um, but yes unless they really felt like something changed in the room or that they really needed kind of a a focal point for communication between locker room and coaching staff or organ you know front office and locker room or media and locker room where they felt like they really just wanted a captain who could be the guy to go out there and do that all the time for them i would be shocked if we saw anybody named captain this offseason I'm with you. I think maybe five to 10% is the right odds. I, look, this is a narrative that's just coming from the outside, completely coming from the outside. It, it is not starting in that room at all. Uh, they, they, and you mentioned the relations kind of with the, the media or with the outside and communication. They did that so well last season. And I, I think another reason that maybe next year would make more sense is because the uncertain future of Jordan Eberle, his contracts mm -hmm. up at the end of this year, very well might be brought back. I mean, he's been yeah. a great fit on this team, but you never know with, with a pending UFA. And if he's not brought back, then you do have a bit of a hole there as far as, you know, kind of talking to the media and being that, that leader in that way, because Eberle does a great job with that. So maybe that would make more sense next season, but yeah, this year, there, there's just no reason to rush that on Matty Beneers, especially as he's kind of looking to take that next step on the ice, right? Um, in his third seat, well, sorry, second really full season. I mean, he played nine games in, in his first season, the Kraken's inaugural year, but um, he kind of needs to take that next step. And he really emerged as the Kraken's 1C last year, but I think there's still room to grow for him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the next uh, storyline really is what does that next step look like for Matty Beneers? What do we want to see from him? And, and what would be indications in training camp that he's kind of taking that next step? Right. Well, one of those things would be maybe some on ice leadership stuff, right? Like, and you can, you can see that watching training camp pretty easily. You'll see somebody communicating with the coaches or communicating with his teammates, uh, paying attention during the drills and then even like pointing things out during it, which is something we've seen from Maddie Beneers, not this past, um, kind of post-draft uh, minicamp, but the one the previous season, uh, the Shane the Shane Wright draft year, where Matty Beneers really came in and, and was very obviously an on-ice leader for everybody, helping guys through drills, communicating with the coaching staff um, about what he was seeing and all that kind of stuff. And so I do think that that's probably the, the first thing to look for uh, with Matty Beneers is, does he feel comfortable now as an NHL regular to communicate and try to lead his you know his line mates his team the the guys around him uh i because i think that's a big part of coming into your own as a franchise cornerstone player right whether you are going to be a captain or not you have to feel comfortable kind of taking charge in certain situations or at, at the very least expressing your own opinion and voice uh, around everybody and so i think that's the number one thing i want to see from maddie Beneers. 
Um, outside of that, I mean, look, just looking to continue further his offensive game, working on face-offs, really. I'd love to see him kind of maybe take an emphasis on working on face-offs with probably a Yanni Gord because he's the best guy they have right now. Or <laughs> or even some of the new additions that they brought in, right? Like that would Belmar. be Belmar, exactly, right? Um, so those are, those are the kind of things that I would look for for Matty Beniers. But for the most part, it's training camp. It's, it's going to be hard to be like, wow, his, you know, his puck skills look so much greater now. He's going to score 30 more points. That's not really the stuff you're going to notice or see in a training camp setting. You're looking for leadership type things or what is he working on? What is, what is he viewing as weaknesses in his games that he wants to improve in his second full season? Right. And that's the thing that great players do is they they look at areas of weakness in their game and they try and kind of level those up basically systematically year after year. And I, I almost want to see Matty Beniers treat this season with the Kraken kind of like he treated uh, his final season in college. Right. Mm-hmm. Going back to Michigan and where we saw him when he was drafted. Right. Matty Beniers, you, you did a great job with your scouting profile and your scouting video and everything. And you talked about how solid he was defensively all the time. He had that part of his game just absolutely down, but we weren't sure if he could kind of take that next step offensively at the college hockey level. Right. And that's where he really focused his game on, on just the skill parts of his game and putting up more points. And he was able to really round that part of his game out in his final season at Michigan. And I think if you look at last season, he did really well from a production standpoint. I mean, Mm -hmm. you look at those point totals, it's, it's very good for a rookie, but I think there's still room to grow there potentially, particularly on the power play where, where the skill aspect of the game is going to matter the most. And I think if, if he works on that, he can kind of take that next jump because last season he was always, I think pretty consistently good defensively. And that's something that Hackstall pointed out. Remember when, when Maddie had that, what was like a 10, nine or 10 game stretch where he, I forget what was goalless or pointless, but the, the production for him on the score sheet just wasn't there. And Hackstall kept reminding us, look, he is playing really solidly in all the areas of the game besides that. Um, just having some more offensive consistency, I think, is the area to, to work there. And we're not going to maybe see it that clearly in training camp. I'm looking for maybe on the power play, too, yeah. when they're working for new options, because that's where I think the biggest difference is going to be made. But I think that's kind of the area of emphasis that he should have. Yeah, no, it's exactly. And you will see that in training camp, right? You're going to see, well, which power play unit is he working with? Where do they have him on the power play? Like that is definitely stuff to pay attention to during training camp and will give us an idea of, of that moving forward, right? Are they going to have him, you know, kind of in and around the nets off to the side there? Is he going to maybe even be more so quarterbacking things up high? Like we really don't know kind of what that next evolution for him on the power play is going to look like because he got such few minutes on it last year uh i'm definitely interested in seeing that from him and yes a great call with the college stuff i mean that was something both him and ron francis talked about when he was drafted he knew my shot needs to be better and he worked on it and then he scored a ton of goals at michigan and we've seen his shot play now at the nhl level um he's got that in him all great players have that in him and it's just going to be exciting to, to continue continue to see him you know mature in that way yeah. Now, from one top five pick to another, we have to talk about Shane Wright. I mean, he yeah. was very much a focal point of last year's training camp, and I know last season didn't go the way that anyone really expected for him. I think, um, you know, largely through no fault of his own. We we've covered that certainly plenty last season, but Shane Wright will be back at training camp again with some very interesting news recently as well um john barr from sound of hockey was kind of hinted at it first elliot friedman uh 
I don't want to say confirmed because I believe, you know, did all but confirmed the other day, though, that it sounds like Ron Francis was able to sort out something with the CHL and the AHL that would allow Shane Wright to be eligible for the AHL this season if he doesn't make the Kraken. Now, obviously, the goal is for Shane and for the Kraken is for him to make the NHL team out of camp. He's going to try and do that. He certainly has a chance to do that. He'll be given every chance mm-hmm. to do it. But if that doesn't happen, the Kraken, now it looks like they'll have the option to send him down to the Coachella Valley Firebirds, which helped him a lot last season, his very limited time there, I think. But what does that do for for Shane, for the Kraken, as far as making roster decisions? I mean, how does that bit of news affect the entire training camp landscape for Shane Wright? Because it's huge, I think. It is it is massive. Like it's kind of hard to to put into words how much of a difference it makes. I think as far if you're looking at it from Shane Wright's perspective, um, it makes making the Kraken that much harder, right? And we talked about this earlier this year when we kind of did lineups and and like what we thought the lineup would be for the Kraken opening night, and then kind of what we wanted it to be. And the big question was, is Shane Wright going to have to be here? Because we know he's not going back to the CHL. He wasn't going back to the OHL. He wasn't going to go back to Windsor. We knew that. But the question was, could he go to Coachella Valley? And if he couldn't, well, then he's going to have to be around on the Kraken and they're probably going to have to play him because you don't want him just sitting either. And that was going to really complicate things for the Kraken. Having this on the table or seemingly having this on the table, I guess working under the assumption now that it's on the table, that he can go to Coachella Valley, I think that's probably preferably where the organization would want him to be. This isn't an organization now that is viewing the roster as a, look, we're building towards something three to five year plan, all that stuff. Because guess what? We're in year three of that three to five year competitive window that they originally talked about. And look, the team just made it to the second round game seven of the NHL playoffs. So this is a team and the, all the offseason moves they made this offseason kind of back that up. They think they are there. They are ready to start competing and maybe having a, a rookie in your lineup who doesn't have a ton of experience playing against men, although got a lot more than I think they probably thought he would last year because of that CHL, uh, that um, Coachella Valley uh, birds fire uh, playoff run. That's the word. Um, (laughs) I, I think that does help, but I still think that this is a team that is looking like, you know, look, we, we need to start being competitive this year if the only spot open is on the fourth line, I you know, we, we kind of want a face-off specialist there. We need, you know, depth pieces there. We, we're going to talk about the fourth line in a little bit. Uh, and the long-term development isn't going to be best for Shane Wright being on that fourth line. So I do think that this is this is one where it makes it makes it such a bigger uphill climb for Shane Wright, Arche. Like before it went from if he didn't have this option kind of being a soft lock to make the roster just because he had to, to now it's like, I don't know that, you know, he would have to really blow people away in camp for it to happen. Yeah, the bar is going to be much higher. And I think that's ultimately going to be good for him. He's going to have to force the issue in order to make the team right away. And as much as I think we both want to see him up in Seattle, you know, as soon as possible, I still think it's best for him probably to start the season in the AHL. I just, mm-hmm. I love the idea of 
Dan Bilesma, Jess Campbell, that that Coachella Valley Firebirds coaching staff, just getting to work with Shane for a month or two and really have him build up his game at, at a level that he can get really confident in what he can do. And then I think of the way that Dan Bilesma talked about Ty Karche when it was time yeah. for him to be called up, where he left no doubt in anybody's mind that he had to go up to the NHL, yes. right? And I feel like we could see a situation like that with Shane Wright maybe a month or two into the season, if he's doing what he should do at the AHL level. And I think that would be the best way to come in and join the team potentially. Now, again, if he has a fantastic training camp, just blows everyone away, then, Hey, it's, it's a win-win really. I yeah. think then he'll, you know, make the roster and, and it works out that way. But I think you, you captured it. That is uh, the biggest difference is then it's just going to make it that much tougher for him to make the roster. And it's something I feel like we shouldn't, necessarily it's an expectation we shouldn't be putting on him now given that he will be ahl eligible exactly you want him to come in look comfortable look like he can hang with everybody right obviously you want those things for him um but with the understanding of you know this this most likely isn't where he's going to start the season now again if he looks good in camp but he still goes down to coachella valley and then there's an injury that that happens you know quarter of the way into the season and he's been playing well with the firebirds nothing says you can't call him up then right like this it doesn't mean like oh if he goes to the firebirds he can never play for the kraken this season that's so far from the case uh it just means he's probably not going to be starting there um and RJ, how awesome is it that like it sounds like the CHL is actually like open to this? Because that was I was really doubtful about that earlier in the offseason. <laughs> I was surprised on there. And look, I had a lot of belief in Ron Francis that he could mm -hmm. probably get some kind of common sense solution done. But my all my confidence was in Francis. None of it was in actually the <laughs> decision makers at the CHL to get something done. I mean, I think maybe it was just made clear that look, no matter what you guys do. You're not getting Shane Wright in the CHL this year. And I know the, the danger of setting the precedent is probably mm -hmm. what they were worried about. My thoughts too. But if I, if COVID was included in the precedent, like this, yes. you know, there had to have been a COVID season, that precedent's going to go away. There's, there's no, I mean, hopefully there's no second pandemic yes. where all of a sudden you're going to have to grant exemptions. And if there is, you've got bigger problems to worry about. So hopefully they saw it that way, but Credit, you're right, credit to the decision makers at the CHL, credit to Ron Francis for getting a common sense solution worked out. Uh, yeah, I, I know you didn't necessarily expect it when we were talking about the lineup video. I had my doubts, even though I thought Francis would get it done, but um, good on everybody involved there. I mean, it's just, you're, you're making a player's life and career better. Yes. And there really should be no harm done. So well done to everybody. Yep. You know, I've, I think I've said it before on podcast postgame lives. I'm always a big fan of when people do win-win situations, right? Even if, even if it means you don't walk away with everything you wanted or, or with the most, win-win uh, situations generally are better for everybody involved. And that has a trickle-down effect to even us, uh, whether it's in the media or as fans. Um, it's just better all the way around when you can when you can reach those conclusions. So definitely happy about that. And uh, yeah, it should be it should make for a very exciting season for Shane Wright. Regardless. Yep, and we'll definitely be following that the whole way. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the reasons that Shane Wright wasn't able to crack the lineup, I think, last season was because of the excellent play of the Kraken fourth line. Yeah. There's just no way that you could get onto that roster with how good they were playing, right? But the fourth line 
is going to look very different this season. Guys like Morgan Geeky, Ryan Donato, Daniel Sprong, all have gone elsewhere as free agents. And Dylan, to me, this is probably the most interesting question of all of training camp. Uh, in my mind, what mm -hmm. I want to see the most is what does the new fourth line look like? And probably even more importantly, what does Haxtell want it to look like stylistically? What yeah. does he want that fourth line to play like? What does he view their role as? Because there was some back and forth toward the end of last season where it sounded like come playoff time, Haxtell wanted the fourth line to be something different than what it had been prior to that during the regular season. And so I'm really eager to hear what he has to say about that and what the players view their role as. Yeah, that is going to be really interesting. I think the Shane Wright thing kind of clears this up a lot because before it was like, well, it might have to include Shane Wright just because. Uh, now I think as far as what it's going to look like, things get a little easier. I think you can really kind of pencil in um, Belmar as that center for that fourth line. I think that's just what makes the most sense. I still think it's going to be interesting and we're, we're still going to have to see kind of who wins out at training camp. For the winger spots, though, for and and for the healthy scratch um, portions of this roster, because look, the Kraken, they have some young guys that are going to be coming into camp and kind of challenging for for some of those spots. But it's also, you know, they they went out and they signed guys uh, too that are that are going to be competing for those spots. Like, there's still just too many forwards for this for this whole setup, RJ, right? Whether it's a Ty Cartier uh, trying to to work his way up from from the AHL. Or it's uh, Yamamoto who they brought in on like a surprise but really sweet deal um, from a from a cost standpoint. So it's going to be easy. And then you've got the young guys also trying to come up. You you got Cole Lind who's going to I'm sure be in the equation. John Hayden as we transition to the other part of your question about what Haxtell might want the team <laughs> to look like. He's going to be involved. Um, and then even some younger guys beyond that. If if say like a uh, Tucker Robertson wants to just show up and be like, hey, I'm here now, uh, or <laughs> or whoever it is, right? Like this could get a very very messy very very quickly. But also, that's kind of a good problem for the Kraken to have. As for what I think uh, Haxtell wants it to look like, he 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 showed us last year. He basically came out and said it, right? He wants a fourth line that's kind of more of a traditional hockey fourth line, where it's going to be guys that can go out there and you know lay out some big hits. He wants them to forecheck hard. He wants them to kind of slow the game down. Just make sure that the other lines can be resting on the bench. Nothing bad's going to be happening out there. He doesn't necessarily need them to go out there and be flashy and score goals and all the time drive possession, although that would certainly be nice. But but certainly not, you know, be Daniel Sprong-like, given that he kept trying to get Daniel Sprong out of the lineup, but then whoever he was putting in for him kept getting hurt, <laughs> which, which is really what I'm referring to. Um, but yeah, I, I think he's going to want this fourth line to be a, a line that is... They can throw it out there, especially as we get closer to the playoffs. Throw it out there, let the top three lines rest, let them recover, all that kind of stuff, and know that nothing bad is going to happen. They're going to go out there, they're going to lay 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 out the big hits, wear the other team down, wear down their top you know lines and groupings and all that stuff, and win faceoffs when you need them to. Right, that's the big thing. If the the top three centers really haven't changed for the Kraken. We know now from multiple seasons, faceoffs aren't really their thing. You need a line you can send out there when you've got a big time third period defensive draw that's going to be able to win that faceoff and just push the puck out of the zone.
Like that's kind of all the line needs to do. And I think that's what we're going to see him try to build towards. Now, given that you think that's kind of what he's looking for, and I, I agree with you, certainly as we approach playoff time, I think that's what he's going to look for. I, the name that sticks out to me here, because I'm looking at the fourth liners and I'm looking at, uh, you know, Brandon Tanev, another name who we hadn't mentioned, yeah. but because of how many good forwards the Kraken have in their top nine, you know, Tanev's, it was a fourth liner by the end of the season, yeah. just by virtue of the log jam at, at wing. You have at Tanev, you have Karche, you have John Hayden, uh, you, you have potentially a Cole in, but the name that sticks out to me, uh, Belmar, the name that sticks out to me is Kaylor Yamamoto mm -hmm. because you look at that archetype of a fourth line and that kind of bruising defensively responsible fourth line, that name just, it doesn't one, one of these things is not like the others, right? Dylan, yep. where, where does he fit in? And do you think that, that maybe the idea is even for him to be a fourth liner, or maybe they kind of just view him as a top nine guy who is there for, if someone gets hurt, I mean, where do you think he fits in here? I have no idea. And I kind of haven't really known all off season, right? Like when it happened, it kind of just blindsided us. Uh, obviously it's a great story. Him coming back to Washington, all that stuff is great. But yes, as I'm, as I'm on hockey reference and his listed height and weight is five, eight, one fifty three. Um, yeah, no, a little different type of guy than John Hayden, I would say. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's possible that he's just, you know, going to be a healthy scratch kind of guy. And then whenever there's an injury in the top nine, he gets sorted in there. Um, but it's also possible that, hey, maybe it's a rotation. And depending on the opponent that they're playing, Hackstall will kind of go with two different looks for his, his fourth line, right? There are going to be nights when you're playing a, you know, I, I don't know, insert big physical team here, Boston or whatever. And you're going to want guys like John Hayden in the lineup who are going to be able to go out there and go toe to toe with a Milan Lucic who's back with the Bruins. Uh, <laughs> and you want guys to do that. Right. And then there's going to be other nights where maybe it's like, Hey, we want to go out there with four fast lines that are going to be offensively skilled and just keep pouring pressure on this defense. Right. And we're just going to try to win it like a track meet style, maybe keep up with an Edmonton Oilers type team. Right. And you're just like, look, the only way to do this is we're going to try to match their intensity and match their speed, match their skill. And that's when you can rotate in a Yamamoto. That's my best guess for right now. But it, it really is one of those things where I just haven't really been able to figure out where certainly he specifically is supposed to fit in on this team. Yeah, and that's something that I'm going to be looking for kind of early in training camp. And I know uh, we should put this caveat out really at the start, but training camp lines don't matter. Uh, coaches are usually throwing stuff at the wall to see what sticks. But I am interested to see what groupings Hackstall puts Yamamoto with, because sometimes they'll they'll test out kind of pairs of players to see how a player works with another one chemistry-wise. Um, so I'm interested to see kind of where they put him, who they put him with. I do think you will get some early indicators of whether they view him as you know, kind of a fourth line rotation guy, or maybe somebody who they'd rather play in the top nine uh, based on where they put him probably as we get close to the preseason for some of those mm -hmm. games. Um, so that's the fourth line. I think it's well, going to be really interesting to watch. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, what is interesting is depending on what style they want the fourth line to play, a lot of the other guys in this conversation are guys capable of doing both, right? Brandon Tanev can play high energy back and forth style hockey. He can also just go out there and start throwing his body around and, and even play defensive if you need him to, right? Uh, Ty Cartier can kind of do the same thing, right? He can go out there and throw his body around or he can try to skill it up. Um, 
Yamamoto is kind of the only guy who's locked into one of those situations, right? And maybe John Hayden on the other side where it's, you know, right. he's not going to really skill things up. He's probably not going to play a speed-based <laughs> game. He's he's more so there. So it's interesting. You could kind of have a fourth line with like locked in, you know, a couple pieces and, and then just swap out maybe one winger. And that completely changes what the fourth line looks like and plays like, which would be very interesting to see for the Kraken. Yeah, interesting to have those options for Dave Haxtell to play with. I, I got to think as a coach, you got to love that, right? <laughs> Where you can have your fourth line look all these different ways that you talked about earlier is a good problem to have. It, it's certainly looking like that. Do you think that makes it fair? Well, okay, Tanev's a, a lot to be in the lineup mm-hmm. just about every night he's healthy. Yeah. But for a guy like Ty Karche, because when you compare him to a Yamamoto or, or a John Hayden, he has more ability to do both of those things where he can skill it up, but he can also play physically. Do you think that bodes well for his chances of making the roster compared to the other two? Or I mean, I guess getting in the lineup, not necessarily making the roster, but yeah, I, I would say so, just because it, it's demonstrating, again, that he's willing to do whatever it is that the coach wants him to do. He's willing to fill in whatever role that the coach wants him to, which is always going to be the number one factor with getting a, a player that isn't a superstar into a lineup, right? It's just, well, is he doing what I want him to do? Do I like him? Well, yeah, I like him because he d- can do everything. Uh, and, and so I still think that he's kind of the most, you know, headed towards finding a roster spot or, or a regular roster spot. Um but yeah, I, I would say so. Like, how could it not, right? If you're a coach, why wouldn't you want the 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 guy who can do both? Because yeah, then and- you're not having to telegraph, right? Otherwise, you're telegraphing when you submit your lineup for that night to the other team. Okay, here's the deal: we're 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 not we're playing Hayden tonight. We're we're gonna go more physical with our fourth line, right? You're giving them an hour head started, kind of what you're gonna do that night. Um, with with a guy like Ty Cartier, you're not doing that. The, the team still doesn't know what to expect and you can change it up on the fly, right? Game starts getting more physical than you expect. Just tell them to play more physical. It starts getting, you're down by a goal. You need something to happen. Tell them to go out there and try to make a play, right? Like that. Why wouldn't you want that versatility at your disposal instead of being locked into something? And there's a reason that we've heard such high praise of yes. Ty Karchi from, from Dave Haxtell and Dan Bilesma every single time they talk about him. So I suppose that does make sense. So, Along with Ty Cartier, well, the Kraken uh, had a couple of Kraken representatives at the NHL's rookie showcase mm-hmm. this year. I remember last year, kind of Shane Wright and, and Matty Beniers were, were the big stars. This year, it was uh, Ty Cartier and Riker Evans. And so with those two guys, uh, I think it's worthwhile to ask, how much will those two push for roster spots right away? It's a little bit of a different dynamic than last year, you know, with a Matty Beniers and Shane Wright, where we kind of, well, at least with Beniers, we know exactly what he's doing and, and Shane Wright being a really high draft pick. Now we're looking at Ty Karche, undrafted, Riker Evans, second round pick, but certainly on his way. How much will those two guys realistically, how much can they push for roster spots? We kind of touched on Ty Karche there a little bit, but moving on to Riker Evans, mm-hmm. I don't know, what, what does that look like for him as far as his push for a roster spot? He's done just about everything you can ask for in the AHL through that Calder Cup playoff run, but is there room for him? That's the question, right? Like they have, <laughs> you have seven NHL caliber defensemen already. Right. You have you have your three defensive pairings and then you've got Magna, who is totally, totally capable of coming in and certainly playing third third pairing minutes. Right. He's proven that I, I, I would feel totally confident and comfortable having him be on my third line if I was the Kraken, uh, my third pairing. 
that makes it like I don't know, right? Because like if he's not even capable of coming in, and you're saying like, oh, they really need you know even just an extra guy around. I, I really don't know what this means for him. I, I got to think, though, that it maybe points to him starting the season with Coachella Valley, and then he becomes the obvious call-up if there is an injury, particularly if there's an injury to a puck mover, right? If Schultz goes down to injury, if Vince Dunn goes down to injury, instantly it's Riker Evans is the guy, right? Then it's like, let's call him up, let's get him into some games, that kind of thing. Um I, I I just that's kind of where I'm at. That's where I think he probably most likely is at uh, unless he has a really good camp. If he comes into camp and he plays fantastic and he's just making guys look silly, he's walking around defenders, he's running the power play especially well. That's probably his most his best chance to make this roster is if he can make one of these cracked power plays, you know, look like they can convert 20 percent of the time. You've secured a roster spot, I'm sure. Um but, but for right now, I, I got to think it's kind of like the Shane Wright situation. I just don't see a spot for him, and he makes the most sense to be the guy, you know, because you wouldn't have to worry about waving him to send back down. I think his outlook for making the roster is actually bleaker than Shane Wright's just because of how they've set this up, right? I don't know what he could possibly do at training camp to to earn a roster spot right off the bat. Just looking at it, as long as everybody's healthy, I guess that's the the big yes. you know asterisk there. It, but if everybody's healthy, given the depth that you have at forward that we were just talking about with all the fourth line options, are you really going to keep eight defensemen on the roster? No. That's only one surplus forward you can keep. I mean, that means having to like send down a Ty Karche and wave a, a, you know, a Hayden or a Yamamoto or somebody. It's certainly a Cole Lynn. Like that's just really tough to do from a roster perspective. You're probably going to lose an extra one of those guys unnecessarily because Riker Evans can go down to the AHL without requiring waivers. So it's just, I, I don't know what he can, can really do as long as everybody's healthy. And then even if he does just knock your socks off, who are you taking out of the lineup for him? To play, I mean, you're, are you going to have, uh, you know, uh, Brian Dumoulin, who you just signed to a, a fairly sizable contract out of the lineup? I don't think you want to do that. Are you going to have a Jamie Alexiak out of the lineup on the left side? Probably not. Um, you know, Schultz, Borgen, I, I, I don't know who you take out there if everybody's healthy. So I, I don't know what Riker Evans can do to make this roster, honestly. It, I mean, you know, maybe if he's somehow get you know four points a game in the preseason and just look solid defensively and I, I don't know really what he can do yeah he might have to come out and literally look like Kale McCarr or something to, to actually make it happen <laughs> and look let's let's just taking a longer term approach with both him and with Shane Wright right it looks like organizationally their situations are set up for them to make this roster next year Right from for Riker Evans just to finish things up with him, Justin Schultz probably the most comparable guy on the Kraken to Riker Evans style of game. His contract's up at the end of this year. Well, that makes sense. That creates then the hole for Riker Evans to fill next season. Right, it it works perfectly. Uh, and then up top, Alexander Wenberg contract up this year. Well, that creates that middle six center role for Shane Wright next season. Right, it makes sense that these two guys would would if they can go back to Coachella Valley, get as many minutes as possible down there, develop as much as they can, and then be the cheap affordable options that fill those roles on the lineup for the Kraken next season. And so I just think that's kind of the way the organization is set up. It just makes sense, right? It's an Occam's razor situation. It just, it's just the <laughs> simplest solution, RJ. 
Yeah, and that's the kind of long-term planning you have to do as a GM to set things up where contracts are expiring when guys are supposed to come in. And, and it's certainly something that teams think about uh, in their front office is making sure things align like that. Um, so I, and I, I certainly think signing Dumoulin, especially to a two-year deal like they did, um, that that's something that tells you maybe they view Riker Evans mostly playing in the AHL uh, again this year. So we talked about the Kraken's defensemen they have really seven nhl ready defensemen that you, you'd yep. feel good about um but brian dumoulin is the new addition there carson Susi out brian dumoulin in and so as a result I, okay we know the top d pair is going to be dunn larson yep. uh, they are attached to the hip and and we're very glad that that's the case but the bottom two d pairs now potentially in flux a little bit you've got that bottom four of, of dumoulin and alexiak on the left side and schultz and borgen on the right side I know we made our predictions for that when we were talking about the lineup. Has your thinking changed at all there? And and do you think Haxtell might have any surprises for us? Because when we asked about the Dumoulin signing when it happened, he did say he had some combinations in mind already right away for kind of where he envisions Dumoulin playing and who he envisions him playing with. Um, any, any potential surprises there or, or are we going with what we predicted for the lineup? I guess just until I see something different, I got to go with, with kind of what we talked about before. It's really tough because the Dumoulin contract is like, it's, that's the tough thing to figure out, right? Like it's not an insignificant contract. The fact that it is the two year term, it's the 3.15 cap hit, right? He's the fourth highest paid defenseman on the team. That means something. But I also don't know what that means. And I don't know that, like, what? You're going to send Borgen back down to the bottom pairing after everything he's done for you and what he's shown he can do for you? Like, that doesn't totally make sense for me either. So, I don't know. I, I guess the thing that maybe we could see, do you think we see a Dumoulin-Borgen pairing as kind of the second pairing? And then you see, what, Alexiak Schultz is the third? You could. I mean, I'm trying to remember how much we saw Alexiak Schultz last season. Or even um, vice versa. I, Alexiak Schultz is a second pairing and Dumoulin Borgen is third. Like, that could happen. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, it was, yeah, um, Alexiak, it was Alexiak Schultz for a while last season, right? And then it switched yeah. to Alexiak Borgen as that second pair. So you, you could always go back to it. It seemed like Haxtell kind of preferred Alexiak Borgen uh, toward the second half of the season, but you know, with another a different defenseman there, the Carson Soucy, you might want to change that up. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Certainly not in training camp. I look, I think, I think Haxtell is going to try both options yeah. and why wouldn't he yeah. as, as a coach, you want to see how they both look before it starts really counting. So I, I think we'll see both options and I guess we'll see where the chemistry comes together. Do you think anybody is locked into being a second pairing guy? Like, do you think the contract and that's a good and question. everything locks Jamie and what we've seen from him in the past locks Alexiak say into being a second pairing guy? Or do you think that, you know, Dumoulin's contract kind of locks him maybe into being a second pairing guy? Like, do you think anybody on here is locked in to being a second pairing guy? Or do you think Hackstall would be open to moving any of these guys wherever he feels is best? I want to say Alexiak should be locked into a second pairing role, just given given the contract and given the trust that Hackstall has in him. I know Alexiak is the type of player that, while not always super flashy, I mean, Hackstall trusts him so much, certainly in defensive situations, yeah, that he's teams. probably going to be locked into, yeah. I, I would imagine that he would play the, the third most, get the third most ice time 
of any defenseman on the team. I, I think Alexiak's probably penciled in there. Uh, on the right side, I think it's much more variable because Schultz and Borgen give you such different things also. Um, I, we know Haxtell likes to switch up his D pairs some, uh, sometimes mid-game depending on what they need. I think we're going to see a lot of that with the, the bottom two pairs this year where he's just going to kind of mix and match them depending on the situation. I think we'll see maybe less consistency there than we did last year. Yeah, and you'd have to assume playing with a lead, it's Borgen. Playing from behind, it's Schultz. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's the way sounds, you'd think it should go. <laughs> sounds about right, right? Okay, yeah. yeah I just had that question because I, you know, I think it's going to be a really interesting camp for this. I mean, and again, all these guys are have contracts, right? Like they're none of them are making insignificant money. There's no obvious situation where it's like this person just screams third pairing. And that's what's very mm-hmm. interesting about this is usually there's at least one guy that you're like, OK, third pairing. But all, none of these guys say that. Right. And they're, and they're all veteran players, too. It's not like mm-hmm. you're, you're having a really young guy coming in and kind of having to earn his spot. These are all guys who have shown that at one point or another, they could be a second pairing defenseman in the NHL. I mean, you look at Dumoulin. He was playing you know, gosh, like 20 minutes a night <laughs> yes. in Pittsburgh, probably more than he should have been. Yeah. Uh, but he's shown he can do that. And so, you know, what do you view his proper role as is a big question there. And I guess we'll, we'll kind of find out uh, as training camp ends up going along. Um, so. Chemistry is going to play a big role in in what those D pairs are, but there's also chemistry questions for the forward lines. And um, with like the the Kraken had a pretty solid top nine at the end of last season, right? Mm -hmm. And going to the playoffs that they liked how the combinations worked. But of course, all that was without Andre Burakovsky Mm -hmm. and the real question is, and I think this is another one of larger questions of training camp, where is he going to slot back in? He should be healthy to start training camp, ready to go. And last season, before he got injured, he really struggled to kind of find a permanent spot on a line that made sense where everything really clicked with certain guys. And the Kraken were still trying to figure that out, I think. You look at his most common line mates, and uh, it was with uh, Wenberg and Schwartz, number one then with Beniers and Eberle, and then with Wenberg and Bjorkstrand. Those are kind of the three where he played over 100 minutes together with players. And none of them had over 50% expected goals percentage. So none of them worked really great. Um, you scroll down a bit further here, and I guess uh, you know he played with Beniers and McCann, and that's a very, very skilled line there. Mm-hmm. 58% expected goals percentage. That's really good. They only played 35 minutes together all season, though. So you know, not a whole lot of ice time for them, but figuring out where Burakovsky's home in this forward line, in, in this forward line situation is going to be, is going to be really important. Do you have any ideas, Dylan? And, and kind of how confident are you that he can find the plot that he needs to find? It's, it's really tough. And I think it ultimately it comes down to whether or not you view some of the lines from last year as untouchable or not. Right. I'm of the mindset that year to year, no line is untouchable. You can tear apart anything in training camp and see what works. Every year is a new year, and you got to approach it that way. Um, and know that you can always go back to some of those those lines with certain types of chemistry mid-season if you need to. Um, that being said, uh, boy, when I brought up the idea of breaking up that Yanni Gord line, I sure heard it from people, so I'm not going to say that again. I think it's one of those, <laughs> if if you are the Kraken and you look at last season's success and you want to try to carry some of that over, it would be really hard to break up Beneers between Eberly and McCann. 
as kind of your top line, and it would be really hard to break up the Yanni Gord line, which then, you know, unless we're throwing Burakovsky into the fourth line carousel and all the people there. Um, it's not. He's Yeah, he's playing with Jaden Schwartz and Alexander Wenberg, right? Like, that's the only place left. And he's just on the second line, and that's where he goes. Um, but it just, it feels wrong to say that, right? Like, especially pre-training camp, pre-treat, pre preseason like i just can't really just say like well there you go are the top nine's already decided because i just think that that um hackstall is going to be open to to new things for this upcoming season we could see bjorkstrand go up to the th- the second line and and burakovsky fall down uh, to the third or whatever it is um so yeah i i think it's it's one of those we're just gonna have to see how training camp goes if if you're of the mindset of keeping the lines together from last year, then then that's where he goes. He goes on the second line, right? Like that's that's it. Yeah, that's where he played the most last season. Results were mixed, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's probably you know I guess if you want to keep the lines together where it would make most sense. But I think what we're really going to be looking at for a training camp is Haxtell should be trying to throw different combinations at the wall and see what works. And I think he will absolutely be doing that. Um, so looking at, and look, training camp lines mean nothing. We're going to go in day one of training camp and Burakovsky's going to be with a couple line mates. We don't know who they're going to be. We won't be able to read a whole lot into that, but just seeing what kind of things they try is going to be really important and, and which players might be the ones to kind of unlock that chemistry with, with Burakovsky. Any idea, like any, name maybe like one or two players who you think you'd really just like to see him play with and, and how that would work out. He has such a unique way of like seeing the game while he's on the ice, right? That it makes mm-hmm. this question difficult. I still think there's going there at some point him and Maddie Beneers are going to click. Like I just, I just feel it. It's a gut feel of there was just a couple times. And I think if I'm remembering right, it was really mostly on the power play, but it just felt like they were on the same page where it was Burkowski could be off on the side, kind of playing along the board and know when Maddie Beneers was going to cut towards the middle and kind of try to cut down the, 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 the slot there. And I just remember that. And it stuck with me, even though that was, I think in like the first month or two of last season, but I still think that Matty Beneers ultimately is the guy that Burakovsky is is most likely to to find that chemistry with and find something with. Maybe it's Shane Wright next season, though. Like, who knows? But for this upcoming season, if I had to put money on, on him really pairing up well with somebody, I think it's Matty Beneers. I just think the way they think about the game as far as making it small in the offensive zone right where it's like they they're they're not big on like hey let's throw it back to the point and try to cycle there it's more of once once we get it in that lower half of the offensive zone that's the space in which we're working with and i think they both view the game that same way and i think that that's something that at some point if they just play enough together they can find some really good chemistry thinking along that that way working in practices together if they are line mates they can work on little things try to get each other behind defenses all that kind of stuff i it's just maddie veneers for me okay and i'm gonna go in a different direction here because uh with veneers i mean you're looking at 
I think just the way they work together and, and Burakovsky would probably be more of the finisher between those two, mm -hmm. I'd imagine, uh, than a Matty Beniers. I'm looking at Andre Burakovsky's vision and kind of how he can play along the perimeter and, and, and make really good passes to the outside and kind of open up guys uh, to take shots. And Jared McCann seems like the too obvious answer there because, of course, he, you know, 40 goal scorer, you know, he's one you can set up. But I do think you have to build any kind of McCann line around him, not around trying to figure out uh, where you want Burakovsky. So I'm going to go with Oliver Bjorkstrand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, is that where you knew I was going yep, with that? Yep. Okay. Because, look, Bjorkstrand is, is one of the very few volume shooters the Kraken have, probably the yes. only one left now that Daniel Sprong is gone. And uh, you need someone who has that vision to be able to set him up to be the trigger man that he needs to be. I love the third line, with the Gord, Tolvin, and Bjorkstrand line. I think it works out really well. But if you're looking for somebody to move off that line to play with Burakovsky, I think the two of them could play really well together. Bjorkstrand, I, I think he's still due for, for some positive regression shooting percentage-wise. Mm -hmm. He unlocked it a bit during the playoffs last year without Burakovsky in the lineup, of course. But I think having those two on a line for a prolonged amount of time uh, you could really unlock some good shooting opportunities for Bjorkstrand. Uh, and and also Burakovsky to kind of capitalize on just the energy there that Bjorkstrand brings. He's willing to go into the corner. He's willing to go behind the net and dig out some loose pucks. And, and you can unlock Burakovsky's shot as well. Yeah, well, and much like I was saying with Matthew Beniers, where like they're they're both players who kind of think the game the same way as far as playing in the lower half of the offensive zone. Burkowski and Bjorkstrand, probably the only two East-West players on this team, right? As you look mm -hmm. at it, they, yeah. like, you know, Burakovsky with his vision, he likes to make cross-zone passes. Bjorkstrand, as a player, likes to cut across the zone a lot. Like, if you find something there between the two, that would work great. You know what I mean? So, it, but it's one of those, like, they would just need reps. And so that's where training camp is going to be really interesting to see what kind of line combinations you get with Burakovsky because it's entirely possible with a guy like Burakovsky with whether he can be a finisher or a playmaker, it just comes down to whoever he's playing with the most, whoever he gets a feel for, because that's a lot of what his game is, is, is just kind of based on that feel or, or knowing where to expect guys to be. And I, and I think that's just going to come down to whoever he gets the most minutes with. Yeah, I, I think it will. And training camp, that's a, just that is what yep, <laughs> training what camp for. is there for, right? <laughs> Time to build that chemistry. And, and so we'll see kind of who he builds it with. All right. So the last storyline that I have here, and I'm I apologize to all the goalie lovers out there for saving this one for last. Maybe they actually don't want to hear about it because it can kind of be a bit of a sad story. Yeah. There's more goalies than there are nets. So maybe maybe you don't want to hear about it if you love goalies. But it is one of the bigger questions of training camp. Mm -hmm. And that is who's going to be the backup goalie because we know Philip Grubauer is going to be the starter, but Joey Decord and Chris Drieger, both under contract there, as Ron Francis told me when I asked him uh, at the start of the off season, he said, look, there's th uh, two nets. There's three goalies. Someone's going to have to get sent down. Who's going to be Dylan? I, I still, for whatever reason, lean Drieger. I think Joey's going to win the backup job. I think it's Joey's time. Um, and you know, I, I'll save the other reason for Drieger maybe being the more likely guy for you, uh, when we get to it, 
But I just think, you know, ultimately whoever plays better, right, through the preseason and training camp is going to be the guy. I don't think that there's a reason um, one way or the other to keep one over the other if one's playing worse. Like that just doesn't seem to, that doesn't seem to make sense to me uh, in this situation. So I, I think, you know, just because of how good Joey looked last year and what he was able to do with the Firebirds, and if he carries that over into the training camp and preseason this year, I just don't see how he can lose this, lose the spot and lose the opportunity really. Cause that's what it is. It's, it's the opportunity. And I think that's where Joey is just kind of better set up currently based on what we last saw of them to take, take control of that. And goaltending is momentum based. It's hard to predict, but mm-hmm. certainly looking at recent play, Joey Decord seems to have the upper hand. We'll see if he can continue that. We'll see if Chris Drieger can step it up in training camp. I really do honestly think that they'll both have an equal shot yeah. of, of winning the backup job. It's going to be determined just by play. I don't think uh, that, that an advantage necessarily is going to be given to one or the other by the team going into things. Um, so it'll be a, a just flat out battle. For, for the backup goalie job, which is going to be fun to watch because yes. both guys, both really motivated. They're going to want to take that backup job. But ultimately, I think, yeah, Joey Decord is going to be the one with it. Um, and, and you also do have to look at it from a roster perspective, as I'm sure you, you've kind of left to me. Mm-hmm. Chris Drieger, there's no way he's getting picked up off waivers if he gets sent down to Coachella Valley. Kraken don't have to worry about that at all. Whereas... Joey Decord, I don't know, maybe there is a team that would be willing to, certainly if there's a goalie injury or something like that, that would be willing to take the risk on him. Um, I believe it's 1.2 or 1.125, something like that. Yeah, 1.2 million cap hit there. It is a two-year deal also. That tells me the Kraken do view him as as part of their future there. He's not just on a one-year deal. So I think it's all setting up for him to take that job, but he does have to go and actually take it himself. Yep, yeah. No, I think... I mean, realistically, RJ, is that, I mean, outside of the battle for like between the five people for like two spots on the fourth <laughs> line, that's got to be the most exciting thing to watch for, for training camp, right? Like, I guess we can kind of finish on that. Like of all these storylines, which one are you most looking forward to, to being at the rink every day and seeing unfold? I, I just think because of the head-to-head nature and the just the, the blanket, who's going to be better? I, I think for me, it is this goaltending matchup. Interesting. I, for me, it's still the fourth line just because there's so many players, so many possibilities, so many play styles, uh, so many factors into that uh, to watch. For me, it's the fourth line, but the goalie definitely is is second place. Um, just looking at the nets and see, because also I, there's so few preseason games, right? You're probably going to want to get Grubauer at least one of those just so he's warmed up and ready to go. There's not a whole lot of time to show what you've got and, and what you can do on the ice that um, it's all going to matter so much. I mean, that's one maybe for the preseason probably where I'm most excited to see yeah. is how the goalies do. Um, but you also have to think that maybe even practices, maybe even training camp, uh, that the coaches are looking at that as well, where um, it's not just the preseason games that are going to matter when you're looking at who's playing the best. So the goaltending battle, it's going to be really interesting. And, and a couple guys that are in, in really different spots in their career too. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a shame that one of them will have to get sent down. That's, that's the sad part of it. I know a lot of fans are not looking forward to that. I'm not looking forward to it either. I would love to have both of them just up on the roster all season, but then that means one fewer forward or defenseman and that doesn't work. So yeah, um, yeah that's, that's kind of the last 
uh, storyline. Anything else, Dylan, that you want to add that you're looking forward to for training camp, or I guess w- what what of training camp you're going to see? Well, depending on your recovery and everything. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I don't know that I'm unfortunately going to be able to see much of it, if if any, uh, outside of the preseason games. So I guess I'm really just looking forward to that because that'll be my first real feel for how the Kraken are looking and and how all these different battles and situations are going to go. So yeah, mostly though, I'm just Kraken hockey's back. And that's that's what I'm here for. That's what I'm that's what's getting me excited. Whatever the fourth line looks like, whoever's backing up Philip Grubauer, I'm just happy that season three is finally, finally upon us. Absolutely. And yeah, in another week's time or so, we'll uh, you know, we'll have a lot more for you there. Um and and just follow, you know, make sure to follow the yes. social media and everything. I will be at every day of training camp, um, you know, given the in-depth coverage of it. So follow along for us with that uh, on all the social media. I just, I can't wait to be back at the rink again, having my phone out, ready to tweet updates and videos and and just everything for everyone. So um, yeah, I, I can't wait. Just like many people can't wait to be back at Queen Anne Beer Hall watching Seattle Kraken hockey games, RJ. Oh, How's that oh I love the segue. Well done. For the segue into the little sponsor hit there. Uh, thanks again to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring the podcast. And uh, that's going to do it for this one. Again, should know when all these great training camp storylines will get underway soon. Uh, wish we had the date for you now. But uh, I guess until then, just going to have to say see you all next time. Hey everyone, before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Brad, Burnt Krem, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, Denise, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Harry Legionary, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joseph, Josh, Joshua, Katie, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Blight, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michael, Michelle, Noah, Nori, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rayanne, Rebecca, Ryan, Sarah, Scott, C.A. Kraken, Sean B., Sean O., Sergey, Shannon, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support. 